a co-founder of His People Every Nation Church Movement in South Africa um, and a regular participant on Table Talk with Mark. Michael, it really is good to have you with us again this morning. Great to be with you, Mark. Always good to be with you. Not so sunny in Cape Town yet, but we live in hope. Ah, uh, well, you know what? Uh, I mean, a little bit of rain down in the Ferris Cape isn't the worst thing in the world. <laughs> um, yeah. Although, uh, from from everything that I hear, your dams are overflowing and things are just absolutely stellar down there. You guys are you guys are in the the absolute apex of God's creation. Okay. And you ne- we never complain about the rain anymore in Cape Town. Not after our drought. <laughs> So, Michael, for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the hate speech bill. Uh, we've been talking about uh, submissions that people have been made, uh, have been making. Um, so, yeah, just please remind the listeners this morning of the core concerns that 4SA, the organization, has uh, with the hate speech bill. Well, number one, this bill is going to criminalize speech for the first time in South Africa's legal history. And there is a three-year jail sentence and or a limitless fine for the first offense. So that's probably should send a chill down anybody's spine. The other strange thing about this and concerning thing is that the test for this criminal hate speech, which will literally send you to jail, is easier to establish. In other words, it's easier to basically fall foul of the hate speech bill's definition of hate speech than it is for the Papuda definition of hate speech, which is, of course, a civil uh, action which you know for which you'll get a fine or some other kind of non-custodial penalty. For criminal hate speech, all you have to prove is a clear intention that the speech, which is offensive, is harmful or that it would incite harm. And then it says, or that would promote or propagate hatred. But the big critical element is that word, or. In other words, it means that every one of those elements is a standalone element, whereas the definition of hate speech in Papuda says that it has to be harmful or incite harm and promote or propagate hatred. So there's a big Uh. difference between those two elements running together. In other words, it has to be an incitement to to hatred and or to, 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 to some form of harm and to propagate hatred rather than an or. It's obviously a lower bar. In other words, the definition is much wider in the hate speech, but which will literally send you to jail. And harm is defined as any emotional, psychological or social harm. I mean, what is social harm? It's not even defined in the bill. So although there's a religious exemption clause in the bill, uh, which was put there after a huge amount of pushback when the bill was first introduced, uh, the deputy minister has told parliament that he thinks that it will only provide protection for something that you might say of a religious slash offensive nature from the pulpit. Not if you repeat the same thing on Monday or post something on your Facebook page. And of course, this is why we are saying to everybody, while there is still the opportunity, while this is still open for discussion, and it's only open until next Friday. So Friday the 1st of October, which is when we're gonna have our next conversation, at the end of that day, submissions close so make your voice heard uh push back against this thing the only thing that government listens to are numbers and if we unite in a concerted voice and push back then we will have i think a very good opportunity of at least ensuring that the definition is tweaked because it should be it should at least line up with what the constitutional court said the papuda definition must be 
and we must get a higher level of protection for individuals inside a church, outside a church, doesn't matter where, we should have that religious protection clause applicable to us. We should never be sent to jail for expressing our faith. So get involved. Go to the Forest State website, forsa.org.za. There's an image there. You can, as an organization, make a submission or as an individual, you can make a submission. It's very easy. Take a minute, make your voice heard. Uh, absolutely. And in and, and actual fact, the penny just dropped as you were talking for me uh, in terms of the distinction between uh, the hate speech bill and the Papuda Amendment Act and the, the real victories in terms of the Papuda Act, um, in terms of the definition um, and a very narrow definition that, that in many ways protects citizens around the country. Um, but right now with the hate speech bill not having um, the same level of protection, in other words, it's an either or with the hate speech bill, uh, the very real chance of people falling foul uh, of legislation. Uh, absolutely penny dropped. I can see the, the urgency and I can see the deadline is Friday. Now, now my yep. mom was on your website uh, this morning mm. and she was mm. filling in and I, I'm not 100% sure. If it I was love your mom. Computer. I, I, I love my mom too. She's absolutely awesome. She's listening in this morning. She, she had a couple of questions in terms of the, in terms of the process, Michael. Um, just as, as you go through the process, there's a couple of questions that you need to answer. Um, are, are the answers self-explanatory? Could, could we maybe just briefly walk through the process? I don't know if you want me to pull it up uh, in front of me and I can walk us through. Um, I've yep, gone to so the... So if, if you go if you go to the individual submission, it'll take you to the Dear uh, South Africa page. And yes, you there. do have to scroll down. Um, and when you scroll down, you'll see a bar which says, you know, you have to state your reason, uh, your region rather. You give your short answer, um, which is basically, do you support um, the hate? And the answer is, no, I do not, <laughs> I would think. Sure. Um, Select your answer. So my mom, you... my mom phoned and said, Mark, I just want to make sure that I don't give a vote to the other guys. <laughs> Is it a no? Is it a just no? Say no? I'm no, like, Mom, it's no, a no. Not... But, but listen just... to Michael. He'll clarify everything this morning. <laughs> just, just, just say no. I mean, among other things, as we've discussed already, there is uh, laws that actually protect you from hate speech. Um, there's also the criminal offense of crime and injuria which we discussed, which is something which, say, you know, Penny Sparrow and Vicky Momberg fell foul of. So ju just say no. <laughs> and <laughs> what, what, what are your, what, what are your um, concerns? Um, I, I, I think, you know, your top concern will be basically uh, the, the offence of hate speech because yes. it's hate speech that we're concerned about. I mean, obviously, yes, you know, hate crimes as well, but our biggest concern is hate speech. And, you know, what 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 do you basically um what are your concerns well all you have to do there is to just um either listen to nadine's little video clip that she's done or you might also notice at the top of the page in, in the red block it says a uh, click to view statements and documents and if you do that there's the 4sa logo that you'll see and if you click that you'll look at all our top concerns and then you can just cut and copy paste or you can just say something simple like you know um I support 4SA's submission or something like that. You could do something very easy like that too. 
Hey, Michael, I couldn't help but notice in terms of your press releases over the last couple of weeks that you guys have clearly partnered with Joy Magazine and you are celebrating Religious Freedom Month um, and you're hosting kind of a whole lot of um, free webinars on Mondays uh, to discuss the importance of religious freedom in South Africa and the core issues that we're facing. Can you maybe just run us briefly through um, what you guys are planning and tell us just a little bit more in terms of the campaign? Yeah, well, the, the, the webinar, again, you can go to our, our website and you can sign up for free. And it's called The Front Lines of the Fight for Faith and Freedom. And essentially what we're doing is every Monday from 7 to 8, for just for an hour, we're taking the time to look at some of the key issues that we think uh, are things that every South African needs to know about. And that you may well, as a South African, have some questions that you'd like to ask. So the first one is going to be Beyond 2021. You know, and again, we're looking at you know, how the whole tectonic shift has taken place uh, where governments have really used to a large extent the COVID-19 pandemic to fundamentally strip away what would otherwise have been inalienable rights. And what are these sanctions now in place? And what happens if you don't obey them? And what does it look like from here? What about this growth uh, growing push for mandatory vaccinations and vaccine passports. I mean, how, how do all these things affect us and what can we do about it? And then, so every Monday, so Monday the, the 4th is the first one, then on the 11th, we're looking at the global agenda uh, against faith, family and freedom. And again, we've seen so many examples of that. If you think of, you know, CSE, you think of the attempts to push religion out of schools, um, you look at the battleground and the universities for the hearts and minds of people, look at the legislation that's coming through. Then we're doing one on uh, the cancel culture. <laughs> you know, the cancel culture is, again, increasingly systemic. And it means that basically, you know, you will be shut down or shut up if you say things that are not politically correct. And again, you know, what can we do in this battleground of ideologies and this insistence on woke conformity? How can we uh, understand it and how can we push back against it and then the last one we're doing is going to be uh, like what would a post-christian south africa look like i mean it's a horrible thought um but the reality is is that there is a steady attempt to erode our religious freedoms and it has never been more important for the silent majority i mean we're 80 percent of the population adhere to the christian faith it has never been more important for the silent majority to find its voice and to raise its voice and we're going to look at how we can do that and how we can ultimately do what i think we'd all want to, to do which is to live out our faith uh, and our values while celebrating uh, the diversity of this wonderful nation that we live in so again go go to the uh 4sa website forsa.org.za there's an image in the spotlight click on that it's free of charge and by the way one registration you sign up for all the webinars so you can you know pop in as you uh, as you want um 7 to 8 p.m every monday uh, in october religious freedom month well michael my day off is monday but i'm going to be signing up so that i can listen in um i think you're hitting hot button topics and i have no doubt it's going to be interesting and very relevant to what we are uh, engaged with just generally in south africa whether you're in pulpits on radio in organizations which lobby government. Uh, just everything sounds very relevant to the current conversation. Uh, I do yeah. want to encourage listeners to go to the 4SA re uh, website, that's Freedom of Religion South Africa website, 
Uh, click on the images in Spotlight and send your submissions on to the Hate Speech Bill, uh, just like my mom, <laughs> and uh, get your submissions your in mom. as soon as possible. Uh, she is absolutely awesome, and I have no doubt that she's listening in right now because she is my greatest fan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Michael, thanks for joining us this morning. Go and enjoy Cape Town. Like, drive around the mountain or, uh, yeah, just uh, spend some time enjoying the beauty of creation on Heritage Day. Yeah, I'm going, I'm going for a walk with my beautiful wife on the beach. Ah, man, beautiful. Enjoy it, brother. <laughs> God bless you. Thank you. God bless well, you. Well, friends, it is good to be with you on this rather sunny day in Ikurileni. Benoni is rocking. It is 25 minutes past nine in South Africa. I happen to know that it is much later, or should I say earlier in the morning, uh, across the pond in, uh, in America, uh, where my next guest is dialing in from. Um, we are joined this morning by James White. James is the director of Alpha and Omega Ministries. He is an evangelistic reformed, evangelical, should I rather say, reformed. Well, he is evangelistic. I've heard him share the gospel many times. But let's stick with evangelical, reformed Baptist Christian apologist who is a prolific author. I don't know where you get the time to write all the books, James. I mean, it just is crazy. Um, who is a prolific author, um, is involved in radio ministries and speaks on a number of platforms uh, in the States and on foreign shores. Uh, he has also partnered with Crystal Park Baptist Church a number of times over the years, uh, filling the pulpit and coming across to South Africa and speaking at various different engagements. James, it is good to have you with us this morning and we just dropped James, <laughs> which is a great pity. Um, he was there and now he is not. So I imagine he is trying to dial in again and that's fine. We have bioed him and so when he comes in, we will begin the conversation. How can you join the conversation, listeners? How can you engage with us this morning? Um, because really, this is your conversation. I really do want to be interacting with you, want to be talking to you, uh, want to be hearing from you, whether you are on 657 AM Radio Pulpit, whether you are on 729 AM Radio K Pulpit, whether you are on Facebook this morning on our Radio Pulpit Radio Console Facebook page. If you are on DSTV channel 882, Open View channel 607, if you're on our website uh, watching the live stream, um, we would like to talk to you. How can you do that? Well, if you drop a note into Facebook, we can bring you into the conversation uh, relatively easily. I see your Facebook comments right in front of me and they come up. I can see stuff from Jean. I can see stuff from Penny. I can see stuff from uh, Ronald. I can see stuff uh, right now from a number of people. It is good to have you with us this morning and we will be bringing you into the conversation shortly. Uh, you can also engage with us on uh, WhatsApp and Telegram. Our WhatsApp and Telegram number is 082657. 2729, get those voice notes rolling in. Uh, it's always great to hear your voice live on air. Uh, if you are a twit, if you are a tweeter, 
The handle is at 657AM and our studio line, if you would like to speak to myself, I'm just kidding, if you want to speak to James uh, live on air this morning, the telephone number is 012-334, go get a pen and write this down. How are you going to remember this? 012-334-1322, you can dial in and speak to us live on air. I need to say that keeping the lights on this morning at home base uh, at Radio Pulpit's uh, um, uh, uh, head office is Mpo. Uh, great to work with you, brother. Thanks for making sure that everything flies and the technology works. James, can I bring you in at this stage? Are you there, brother? Well, I, I heard you start to introduce me and then everything disappeared. <laughs> so I was like, sure. oh no, this is not a good start. <laughs> no, the, the timing wasn't good, but actually it just started raining here right at that moment so i'm i'm not sure if that had anything to do with it or not but uh yeah uh it's middle of the night here and it just started raining and uh so anyway it's um it's good to be with you good to see you again i i imagine in the middle of the night i look really afraid but <laughs> that's uh that's yeah. Hey, listen, yeah, it, it is it is really good to be with you. Thanks so much for giving up of your time. I mean, I, I realize it's like half past 12 on that side of the world. And uh, and that really means that you've sacrificed to have this conversation. Uh, I've been looking to this conversation for, well, a couple of months. You know, you're, you're a hard man to 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 uh, to tie down because you're so busy. I mean, you just you just do like a billion things. Are you on holiday right now? Oh no no no! I'm uh, uh, since I don't travel since I don't fly anymore. Um, in 2019, I flew 165,000 miles. So I taught down there in South Africa. Uh, I managed to escape Melbourne in 2019 uh, in December. <laughs> that was the last overseas I did was Melbourne, Australia, which is sort of strange. Watching the news today. Um, taught in Samara, Russia, spent like three months in London. So I was a world traveler and I'm not anymore. Um, so uh, I didn't really do anything in 2020 as far as traveling is concerned. We, we built a, a studio to be able to doing stuff like you're doing right now. Um, but I really missed seeing people and stuff like that. And so what we did is I'm in a I don't know what you call them in South Africa. In uh, in America, they're called a travel trailer, a recreational vehicle. This is specifically called a fifth wheel, which um, which means it it's pulled by a pickup truck, um, and it attaches in the the bed of the pickup truck, so it's more stable and stuff like that. And um, so we've set up this travel rig uh, that I'm now uh, just starting yesterday. Uh, I'm starting to travel across the United States uh, to speak at the G3 conference in Atlanta. Uh, in fact, um, on Friday, Lord willing, and I get there, um, I will be preaching and then Vody Balcom and then Paul Washer uh, will be the evening lineup on, on Friday. And um, on the way, I'm, I'm doing a, a seminar with Owen Strand and Jeffrey Johnson. Jeff Johnson just had a book come out on a controversial subject in regards to uh, Thomas Aquinas's theology and his understanding that, uh, that Aquinas is primarily negative in his impact, especially upon evangelical theology, which you would think wouldn't be all that 
controversial, but it is. And um, I mean, I'm on his side on that one. Uh, but uh, so what we do is as I'm traveling, um, we've had churches write in and I, I look at a map and figure out my, my route and then we get together with local churches. And so I'll drive during the day and speak at night. And um, uh, I'm, I'm driving alone. Uh, so I do all the setup and, you know, all the connecting and everything. I've had to, I've had to learn a lot <laughs> over the past uh, number of months, but I'm getting pretty good at it. And um, so I'm, I'm in a what's called an RV park. Uh, and since I'm talking in South Africa, it doesn't matter if I tell you where, in a place called Holbrook, Arizona. Uh, and like I said, a thunderstorm just, just rolled in. So we've got a little, little rain going on. Uh, but this is how I get from place to place now and uh, how the world has changed in uh, such an incredibly brief period of time from uh, when I was down there with you. In fact, um, I love to tell folks, and it sort of leads us into our topic, I love to tell folks that uh, I think it was <clears throat> I think it was the last time I was with you. Uh, it was the time when we when we had our, our infamous game of chess at your house. Um, we the the subject that I was asked to speak on, and that I have been asked to speak on every time I have spoken in a church in one of the townships, was the subject of Jehovah's Witnesses, and uh, yeah. the the interest being that a lot of those churches there are a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses in those areas. I don't know what the witnesses are doing these days down there. Um, they're really not going door to door anymore here in the U.S. Um, so they're experiencing interesting. It, it's fact. It's interesting. Both the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons have responded to COVID nineteen in really interesting ways here in the U.S. And in fact, um, we're seeing really interesting changes taking place within Mormonism right now. Uh, the Mormons are changing, and um, I'm not sure where that's going to go. I'm not sure how much they can change without a major split taking place. Um, but they have, to, to put it simply, they have hidden in their basements and have disappeared. They've shut down their temples. Um, they've canceled all of their, their pageants, uh, everything that, that, that they were doing for years and years and years and years. Um, they're not, uh, they're not doing anymore. And uh, it's, very strange and there are theological changes going on um they're really caving to the culture in regards to uh human sexuality and things like that and uh, byu is changing it's fascinating i don't know where it's going to go but um it is really really interesting to see what has happened so anyways that's a long way of saying um i basically uh, take my hotel with me now. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm in a, in a travel trailer. And, uh, so while I'm driving, I'm studying, I've got all sorts of books lined up and debates to listen to. And, and, um, so I, I just have to figure out where I'm going to go and what churches I'm going to stop at and, um, and get, get to minister to people. And it's, I'll be honest with you. <clears throat> it's, it's not as big as the, as the international travel and stuff like that. But uh, just about two months ago, on my first big long trip, I spoke at a little church. Uh, most of them are very little churches because it's like on a Tuesday night or a Thursday night or stuff like that. And after I spoke, 
no air conditioning. They were having extremely hot conditions. So of course our seasons are switched from you guys. Um, and uh, I was sweating and, and hot and, and there may have been 40 people at the most there. And I sit down to drink something afterwards and this woman sits down next to me and she shows me a text message from her son who is currently living in New Zealand who told her that she really needed to go hear me speak. He had some nice things to say about me. And then he said, and it's because of his ministry online that I've come to know the Lord here in New Zealand. And I'm just like, I'm in the middle of nowhere. I'm in, I'm in a state called Montana. And if you know Montana, it's about the least settled state has the least number of people in Montana and Wyoming in, in the entire United States. And here's this woman and she's telling me about her son who had jumped ship uh, from a cruise ship and had been around the world and is now in New Zealand and somehow in New Zealand ran across our stuff and the Lord used our ministry to, to lead him to faith in Christ. And I'm sitting with his mom somewhere in Montana. You, you don't get to do that kind of stuff when you're at the really super big conferences or you're overseas and stuff like that. You're rushing around all the time. So it's, it's pretty cool. Um, it's, it's pretty neat. So here we are. And um, there you go. Man, f fascinating. Look, I've, I've seen a couple of photos of the, of the rig that you're driving around. I think in South Africa, the closest thing that we have to that is a caravan. We kind of don't do those mobile homes and, and uh, you know, campers that, that, that you guys uh, tend, to, uh, tend to enjoy across in the States. It, um, it's, and a five-wheeler, I'd never heard of that before. It's, it's, it is a, it's fascinating because I had never been an RVer. I, we, we, it's called the RV life, the recreational vehicle life. I had never, uh, I've been in one once when I was up in Africa, Africa, Alaska, good grief. I was in Alaska and we got around in, a, in an RV, but I never did any of the setup. I didn't know about how any of it worked. I've never been a camper or anything like that. And so it's been a learning curve. But once you start doing it yourself, you start looking around, you realize they're everywhere. I mean, there are RV parks everywhere. And I'm sitting in a, a well-known one called a KOA. And I'm, you know, it's dark here, uh, it's middle of the night, but I'm looking around. This place is pretty filled up. And it's, uh, it's September here, which is not a, not a big travel month at all. It's filled up. So there are, there are, there are people who have ministries of just going around RV parks because you could. It, I, everybody's really friendly. And all you gotta do is walk around. You can start conversations everywhere. But yeah, there are RVs everywhere. And uh, now that I, uh, I'm living in one uh, every few weeks, um, I, I, I get to see that. My wife isn't <clears throat> quite into the RV life yet, but uh, we've got a trip coming up that hopefully she will join with me and uh, we'll see how that how that works. And I'm just concerned she's going to start moving everything around because <laughs> the key the key is do you know where your stuff is <laughs> and can you find it when you need it? So, <laughs> so, so bridge into my life. My my wife and um, her family owned a, a caravan park and RV park uh, when she was growing up, 
And as a result, when we got married, I was pretty keen on going caravanning. Um, I, I love getting out into the outdoors. I enjoy tenting. I enjoy all of those kinds of things. She will have nothing of it. <laughs> She's oh, like, I left that life behind. <laughs> Give me a hotel. <laughs> Somebody needs to cook my meals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I can understand that. And, and that's why I really haven't forced it on my wife. Uh, I just sort of left, left it up to her. Uh, this is... Uh, Primarily, one of the reasons we did this, I, I don't know why we're talking about this, but very quickly, you can't see it here, but um, my bike is set up over here. And so I have an indoor trainer. I brought my indoor trainer to the Hawaiian Yards. I've got a 40 inch flat screen over there. And so I'm not sure if tomorrow morning I'm going to do this, given the chunk of the night disappearing here. Um, but I ride and uh, that's, that's, I have to. At my age, if I stop, and you know I'm a big cyclist, I've I've ridden a hundred and forty six thousand miles uh, so far in uh, in my career. Uh, but at my age, if I stop, I'm probably not going to be able to get get back to it. So it helps to keep my health while I'm on the road, and um, that's that's really important. Uh, that's one of the things when I'd be down in South Africa, uh, I'd be trying to find ways to get to a gym or to. To do some running and stuff, but I almost—I don't think I ever got to ride in South Africa. I did in Australia, but um, so yeah, that's the other thing. Is uh, I'm not sure the wife would put up with the bike. That's uh, she'd probably be like, no, no, we're not, we're not doing that one. And uh, so we'll see. But anyways, people aren't don't care about me driving around in an RV in the <laughs> U.S. Um, well, as you've been talking, a couple of things have come up. I mean, obviously. Uh, you're heading to G3. I'm, I'm always interested in terms of the cultural differences between South Africa and the South African church and America and the American church and how you guys influence us and then sometimes how you guys fail to influence us and I'm curious as to why. But you, you're heading down to G3 now. Um, G3 is obviously a conference that educates, encourages and equips the work and the ministry uh, I mean, I looked at the speaker list this year, and it's just kind of like a who's who in terms of my reading list. Uh, you guys have Conrad, I think, there. Vody Buckham is there, if I remember correctly. Um, look, there's a couple of simultaneous conferences happening um, uh, right now in the States. And so just a, a very brief response to this question. James, we, we kind of don't do conferences and these big conferences in South Africa. We, we don't develop um, speakers that kind of kind of sway a, a national audience uh, in our country. Uh, you've been to South Africa. Like, why is it that Americans kind of do these big things and, and, and then the rest of the world consumes them and we fail to, to get stuff like that started on home shore? Any ideas? That's a really good question. I'm, I'm really not sure exactly why that is because I was, I was thinking about, at least in my experience down in South Africa, um, if you're in Durban, the people from Durban, the Durban area come there. If you're in Joburg, people from Joburg, Randburg, et cetera, to come there. If you're in Cape Town, it was pretty rare that I would see people um, from Cape Town coming up for the debates in Joburg or, or stuff like that. So there's still a lot of ability to travel here in the U.S., Unlike what's happened in Australia, where they've basically closed the borders between their various states, uh, that's still pretty much wide open right now, anyways, in the U.S. I could see that changing in the future. Um, but so there's there's a lot of availability of travel. 
And a lot of our organizations are sort of transnational. So G3 has started working with John MacArthur's ministry and is sort of connecting up. Virgil Walker is now uh, in charge of uh, a lot of the stuff <clears throat> at G3, working with Josh Bice. And, uh, uh, and of course, Daryl Harrison, his partner, is working at, at, at Grace to You. And so there's connectivity that way. And um, it, is inter- it's, it is sad uh, in some ways to see, um, to just think back. I can think back less than, well, three years um, to G3 conferences to where there were people at that conference um, who wouldn't darken the door today for anything because of the many changes that have taken place, uh, starting with the woke movement and critical race theory and stuff like that. Um, and now uh, COVID has only exacerbated all of that, has made that a lot a lot worse. Um, but still, there's a lot of connectivity, I think, between the various ministries. And G3 started in a local church. Uh, the first two years that I was a part of G3, it was at Praise Mill Baptist Church in Atlanta. And it was just a lot of hard work by Josh Bice to bring people in and to you know, people would network while they were there and, and get connected up and things like that. And then it went to the convention center and it just got, it just got huge. I mean, uh, uh, normally when you're speaking at G3, there's uh, three to 5,000 people there. And, um, but there's also all sorts of displays. Uh, my ministry will have a display set up this year and stuff. And what I do is I just meet people there. Like I did a debate with Adnan Rashid, the Muslim apologist, uh, before G3 a couple of years ago. And afterwards, I stood for 90 minutes um, greeting people and taking pictures and stuff like that. And not all the speakers do that, but I do. I really enjoy just going over there. And literally, if I didn't walk away at some point, I, I could do that all day, all day long. And it's fascinating, the, the topics um, you know, one year there'll be one group that's emphasized, like um, people who came out of King James onlyism and so because of the ministry. And then um, next year it's it's another emphasis on Mormonism or uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, whatever. It's it's fascinating to get to talk to people and hear their stories. And and um, so G three is a a really neat experience. They were already making changes. Um, when COVID hit. And so they've had to adjust to some of that. This used to always be in January and now it's uh, in late September, early October. So, um, but uh, I'm not uh, totally certain um, why that you don't have a similar G3 level meeting where you'd have everybody from, I mean, given South Africa's transportation uh, grid and things like that, you could have folks coming from all over Africa for, for stuff like that. But I don't know. I'm not sure what the, all the reasons for that are, but um, uh, it is a neat opportunity. So uh, as we talking, a couple of uh, questions came in just in terms of what is G3. Uh, Gene asked, uh, what is the G3 conference? And Joan says, hi. A couple of people saying hi to you on Facebook as well. Um, So really the G3 conference is a collection of Christians, um, evangelical, but I'm going to go with, I I mean, I don't know if you would tag them as as conservative evangelical, um, 
uh, reformed uh, by nature, uh, guys from across the states and further afield that get together and have a conference. This year the focus is Christ and the supremacy of Christ, as I understand it, and it runs from the 30th of September to the 2nd of October. I mean, anything else that you'd add in there? Yeah, well, we've had, we, you know, we did, we did a year on the Trinity and stuff like that. I would say G3, and G3 is just um, gospel grace, and there's another one in the middle of the night. I don't remember which one it was. Um, but the, the three Gs were just simply theological concepts. I'd say G3. I'm going to go with glory. Glory. Gospel, okay. grace, and glory. There you go. Um, <laughs> I would say, because the other huge um, conferences for inerrancy believing um, evangelical conservative Christians would be something like the Shepherds Conference at John MacArthur's church, which is always huge, um, and Ligonier Conference, uh, R.C. Sproul's ministry. Um, Ligonier is reformed, lots of Presbyterians. Uh, John MacArthur's used to have lots of those folks there, but there's been a little bit of a um, division with like T4G and, and, and things like that. Um, G3 sort of mixes those two together. So we do have uh, Presbyterians who speak and things like that, but it's primarily Reformed Baptists that uh, sort of headline things and stuff like that. Um, but still, there's we've had a large number of folks. Uh, Mark Dever has been there and John Piper has been there. And, and this year, MacArthur is going to be there. And uh, so... Yeah, it sort of mixes, sort of mixes up things, and they let me come, and I I try not to cause problems because <laughs> I I don't fit in really well almost anywhere uh, these days, I guess. So I'm I I scare people because uh, they're they're a little scared of people who do debates and and um, as you know, debates in mosques in South Africa, you know, they they find that to be a they're not sure exactly why people do things like that. So, uh, uh, so I don't fit in. I've well. always really enjoyed that about you. It, it was kind of one of the questions that I wanted to ask. Because, you know, having having spent some time talking to you, having had a couple of lunches together with you, I, I mean, I would tag you as, as, as a, a conservative, reformed Baptist. Uh, maybe not conservative on the outside. I mean, you have some idiosyncrasies which uh, which make you you know a, a, a really interesting guy. Um, but but you seem to maintain relationships with guys that aren't like you, and yeah. I find that amazing about you, James. In that a, a lot of the guys that I run with struggle to have relationships with people that aren't exactly the same as them, cut from the exact same cookie. How do yep. you manage that? Why do you why do you pursue those relationships? Because you do it really well. It's a great testimony, and I think it gives you opportunities uh, to minister in places that others can't. Yeah, I, I don't. I wouldn't say that it's something that I pursued. It wasn't something where I decided one day I'm going to become a model of how um, brothers can transcend certain differences and work together because they're united on the gospel. And I didn't make that kind of decision. Um, it just has happened that when you when you do deal with as many different subjects as I deal with and as many different groups as I deal with, it does help you to focus upon what really does define the Christian faith over against what doesn't. And uh, it does help you to prioritize things, to recognize that there are 
certain um, uh, defining doctrines that you that cannot be compromised, that, can, that cannot be done away with. Um, but our tendency is to see how everything connects together, which is good, but then to start going, well, if you believe this, then it must mean you believe this, 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 and reason back to the center ones and say, ah, and that means you're not really a believer or I can't have fellowship with you or stuff like that. I was raised in a very, very strict independent fundamentalist Baptist style uh, background. And I was raised thinking that if you weren't a Baptist, you weren't a Christian, basically. And so I had obviously come out of that um, and had had come to appreciate my fellow believers in, you know, amongst the Reformed, the, the Presbyterians. And, and of course, when I'm over, I was over in Australia, I was with the Anglicans over there, the, the Sydney Anglicans, yeah. the good conservative inerrancy believing guys and stuff like that. And hey man, so you've been singing quite a lot of music that's coming out of Australia in that city of light is, is over there. Been loving some of the hymnology that's been coming out of that uh, camp. Yeah. So what happened with me just really briefly is I guess there are two people that I work with um, that I will I will speak at their churches and they will have me in that are very different than I am. And I think that's what causes some people a problem. Uh, really well known, of course, is Dr. Michael Brown, who is a Arminian charismatic. Um, and he and I have debated each other. It's, it, it's interesting, both these gentlemen, Michael Brown and Doug Wilson, we have debated each, each other um, more times than we've debated together. Uh, so we've never, brushed our differences under the rug. We, we, we debate and we do so in a spirited fashion, but we, but we obviously love each other and we respect each other. And that's where people struggle is that they get the idea that if you're, if you're going to debate somebody on something, unless it's just a really minor, minor, minor thing that um, you then need to walk away from them when it's all over and, and stuff like that. And it doesn't work that way. And so uh, my relationships with uh, with Michael Brown and now Doug Wilson. I was just up in Moscow, Idaho. I preached at Christ Church. I spoke at the uh, Grace Agenda Conference, and we're going back up there in April of next year. And he and I are going to be debating uh, on two different topics. And yet, I'll also probably be doing some lectures for New St. Andrews. I was New St. Andrews commencement speaker a few weeks ago, and so. Uh, we have we have differences and we're open about them and it's interesting Doug and I have been doing a series called sweater vest dialogues where we talk about stuff and it's amazing once you actually start talking about things how much you can work through and even if you end up disagreeing at least you know exactly why why it is and very often you find out you're a whole lot closer than you thought you were um, otherwise so there's just been opportunities where we're we're common we're commonly working, and these days, in a defense of the gospel and a defense of what you were just talking about before I came on, uh, religious freedom and everything that's happening. It does, it does seem to me that as more and more pressure comes upon us from outside uh, and we're pushed closer and closer together with people who are a little bit different than we are, um, the tendency is to 
minimize the differences. And so I've said for a long time, for example, I've done many, many, many debates with Roman Catholics, and I, I'm thinking of one particular Roman Catholic apologist. Uh, he and I have debated each other. Uh, we debated each other year, decades ago. And yet when I listen to him, I hear him saying a lot of the same things that I'm saying. Then all of a sudden, he'll take a hard right, and I'm like, how did he get over there? And well, it's because we have really major differences. We can't just say those differences don't matter. We can't just say, well, let's just all get along. Um, but I've learned to respect him, and he respects me, and we can have a good relationship. It's not a brother and brother relationship in that situation because the differences have to do with the gospel. Um, but I've been saying for a long time that I think we're going to be pushed together, and the tendency we're seeing is for people just to decide that all the differences don't matter. So instead of it resulting in even more focused, honest dialogue and debate, it's just like, put them all aside, and let's just say these few beliefs are all that matters, and then forget all the rest. And unfortunately, the gospel often gets lost in all of that. So I, I'm not claiming to have found the exact way to do this. Uh, it's a it's a challenge to, to walk a balanced path, but a lot of folks are starting willing to make the effort. And um, so, yeah, but also I've been doing this for a long time. So I've gotten to know a lot of people. Uh, I'm getting, I'm getting old. So uh, uh, <laughs> I've, I've had a lot, lots of opportunities. And uh, so anyways. Brother, you've mentioned it a couple of times. I, 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 I again, it's really important to, some of these conversations, uh, James, we're going to get to Isaiah uh, and uh, into the book of John, and I'm looking forward to that. But some of this is really helpful uh, just for South Africans to process, because uh, the United States is sometimes just, you know, a couple of steps ahead of us um, in terms of the way that life rolls out in the States. It often gets felt on our shores, sometimes weeks, sometimes months, and sometimes years later. Um, you, you've mentioned now a number of times just the change to the kind of <laughs> the playing field, how, how life has changed uh, since for us March uh, 2020. Uh, that was when we went into our first lockdown. We've had, I think, three subsequent phases of lockdowns. Um, we've been under lockdown in South Africa for 500 and something like 90 days. We're coming up for two years now of just uh, of just. <laughs> just the world has changed. Um, James, uh, some learnings. I, I mean, you kind of you're heading to a conference. You're speaking at churches all over your country. Um, has the church fundamentally changed? Uh, are, are there noticeable changes? You spoke about Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses changed uh, immediately. I just thought of my own suburb. I haven't been seeing the JWs knocking on doors for quite a while. I find that interesting now that you mention it because I used to invite them in and sit and have a chat and, and a bit of a laugh um, as, they, as they engaged um, respectfully. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I'm interested to know, has the church itself changed? Um, and if so, what kind of changes are you seeing? How, how is the church responding to, to what's going on in the world? Well, you know, um we were very concerned and a number of my friends, I won't, I'm not sure whose names I can mention down there, but well-known evangelical leaders down there had already had me uh, addressing certain issues starting as early as probably late 2018, early 2019 in regards to 
um, critical race theory and the woke movement and all the rest of this stuff because we we recognize that exporting this stuff, especially to South Africa with South Africa's history, would be absolutely poison down there. And so we we were already dealing with that type of stuff taking place here in, in the U.S. when COVID hit. And um, so you, you've, you've got those two factors working together. And I think that has exacerbated some of the differences and divisions that were already inherent in that. It's been interesting to, to see that um, those people who were already woke and in that area, they approach COVID in a different way than, than others uh, as far as they're not really interested in freedom issues and they're not really interested in questioning the narrative coming from the government and, and stuff like that. And so uh, it, it, that has made the divisions wider. Um, but then here in the US, if you were, we call them red and blue states. The blue states are the more leftist states, the red states, the more conservative uh, on the right. Uh, I live in a state that's sort of purple. It's a, it's a mix, but it's got a red history anyways. And so if you, were, if you are in what we call the left coast, California, Washington, Oregon, you've been extremely limited and locked down and the government has been telling you um, that you can't meet, you can't have the Lord's Supper, you can't sing, uh, everybody's got to mask up and stay six feet apart and blah, 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 blah. And so that same thing in, in northern states, in New York and places like that. But in Texas, Florida, pretty much in Arizona, um, it, wasn't, it wasn't that bad. And yet what was interesting was even uh, in Arizona, um, I, would, I only know of a half dozen, honestly, churches uh, that remained open from March, 2020 onward. Um, even, you know, in our, in our state, the government didn't just crack down and say, we're gonna come in and bust you up if you meet. They were strongly recommending blah, 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 blah. But there were a few of us, uh, ours included, I'm now at Apologia Church. Um, I, don't, I wasn't there the last time I was in South, well, I might've been, I don't remember, but anyway, um, I'm one of the four pastors of Apologia Church, and we never close. We haven't missed a single Sunday, um, and we don't have any mask mandates, um, vaccine mandates, never. Um, and so we sort of we weren't we weren't prophets. We just looked at the numbers and we went, uh, "This doesn't seem something doesn't seem right here," and we just didn't want to leave our sheep without worship, without the Lord's Supper, without uh, baptism. Um, and so we didn't. So we we stayed open. And of course, you, I'm not sure if you all saw what happened with John MacArthur's church in uh, California. And of course, California. Yeah, I, I mean, it made, it made big news. And I mean, obviously, I, I have, a, I have a, a theological bent towards, uh, towards the grace churches um, and we'd count them amongst, uh, amongst my own tribe. So um, or I, I'd count myself in that tribe. And so um, obviously the news in California and around John MacArthur was, was, I mean, we were all tracking that very carefully and closely. Right. And, and, and when, when it happened, 
Um, there were some people who looked to us. Apology is not a huge church, but we have a real media presence. And Jeff Durbin and I have have a lot of contacts and, and are involved with a whole lot of stuff. Um, there were a lot of people coming to us saying, well, how come, how come they're closing down? Because they did for a while. They did for um, a couple of months. They, they closed down. And, and um, then they decided, no, we're, we're going to reopen. And I really appreciated the fact that uh, Phil Johnson, when, when someone pointed that out and said, well, hey, there were other people that stayed open, um, Phil Johnson's response basically was, well, we were wrong. And so it wasn't, it wasn't, it was just, you know, we, we did what we were asked to do because we were given a certain set of information that information turned out not to be accurate. And so we're, we're correcting that error. And I think how much did they get? Was it 400,000 or 800,000 from from, $800,000, which translates to crazy money in South Africa. Um, Yes. Yes. Hey, uh, James, you raised something. I I mean, I'm, I'm interested in this conversation. I, I don't think I took exactly the same. In fact, I know I didn't take the exact same line um, as as many in my tribe. Um, and for right or wrong, I think time will tell. Um, but but I'm interested in something that you said. You, you started off by talking about red states and blue states. And having been to the states, I mean, you guys are a crazy polarized society. I mean, you know, after this, I want us to just engage and talk a little bit about CRT and wokeism uh, as well, because uh, th- that certainly is, is entering into kind of common conversation uh, in South Africa and amongst the churches. I, I have no doubt that people will be interested uh, in just hearing where you guys have progressed in terms of that argument. But, but, but to make the point, you guys are a crazy polarized society. And I can imagine the liberal sides, I mean, we're talking about the guys that have jettisoned theology and jettisoned the faith, <laughs> left the faith, would sit on the far left-hand side um, of whatever debate was happening <laughs> in the States. But, but in the States, is it, when it comes to the church and when it comes to this particular issue, has there only been two sides to this coin? Uh, has there been any kind of middle or, or are you guys just absolute polar polar opposites uh, in in uh, in the church as well no there there's there is certainly a spectrum um i i will i will admit that but it, it is interesting how it did pretty much track along with where you are on the theological spectrum as well and yeah our nation is extremely polarized and to the point where i i don't believe that our our nation will remain stable um, which, given it's the United States, means there's going to be massive instability globally um, because of our instability. And it's purposeful. It's very, very purposeful um, what's going on. This, is, this, this didn't just happen by happenstance. This, is, this has been going on for a long time. But <clears throat> that's, that's not a good thing to have the kind of polarization that we have. And so, no, there were, there were a lot of uh, churches that, um, for example, closed down, but tried to do other things, not just going online, but tried to still be ministering to their people. And we had never faced anything like this before. So especially in those first few months, we're all just like feeling our way along. And I know uh, as one of the elders at Apologia, we're just like, well, um, here's here's what our primary objectives are and here's what we call feel the church has been called to be faithful to do 
And of course, that was based, we have an extremely high view of scripture. We're, we, we believe in the inerrancy of scripture. Scripture is God speaking, and, and we believe in um, the role of the church. Um, uh, we're, we're, we, we believe that Christ's kingdom is going to be victorious, in fact. And so we want to speak to culture. And uh, Apologia Church started the, the organization called End Abortion Now, which um, uh, is, is seeking the abolition of human abortion across the United States and the whole world. And, and so uh, we, were just, we just had a certain set of priorities, and those priorities require a very high view of Scripture, um, Trinitarian theology, functionally so, not just in your creeds, but actually living in light of that. And, and so, yeah, it, it, you had a spectrum that was taking place. But what I'm seeing now is I'm seeing, and this happened with me too, um, you all have had to think more about church state stuff than we have um, because of the nature of the South African government and how it's been for quite some time. We so we we I, have a we have a very liberal constitution and uh, we're a constitutional democracy, and so as a result, uh, I mean, <laughs> when when stuff comes, it really it really comes. Although, um, so I speak to uh, the gentleman that was on just before you before you came on, Michael Swain. He's from Freedom of Religion South Africa, and um, they they have over the last couple of months been a number of. Of victories, um, both in the court uh, as well as legislative advancements, um, and um, yeah, we've kind of been riding a wave. But uh, at the moment, for instance, there's a hate speech bill that is up, and hate speech, in terms of this particular bill, is defined as either incitement to cause violence, or instead of and, or a person feeling really offended, <laughs> like you know, hey, he said something horrible about my hair today. Well. <laughs> hate speech and i mean that could get us into well okay it's not quite that ridiculous but but, but that could get us into all kinds of trouble um going yeah, forward yeah it's it's everywhere we have the same type of things going on here um and you know that that is this this post-christian what you're calling talking about post-christian south africa well we're definitely in post-christian united states and um where a a, a you know i heard you say 80 percent in, in South Africa, um, there's there's probably about 65 percent of people who say they're at least somewhat religious in the United States. But I'll I'll just be honest with you: if there's seven percent of serious Christians in the United States, yeah. I'd I'd be very very surprised by that. Um, no no no, dif no different in South Africa. I mean, I, I read a Bonner report because uh, I was looking for some stats, um, and I came across a Bonner report that was talking about. Um, <laughs> about the states and, and the crazy things that people who claim to be Christians believe. I mean, it's just yeah. absolutely bizarre how shallow the theological pool is amongst believers in the states. And, and in South Africa, it, in truth, whilst the number might be 80%, and that obviously means that when we do rally and, and throw down a banner, um, there, there, there are a number of people that run to the banner. But, but I can tell you the church is in an absolute mess uh, in South Africa because of all kinds of things, syncretism, because of the prosperity gospel and just the way that it has ravaged um, theology uh, in our country, um, along with cults and just the rise of, of, of just um, 
Yeah, uh, Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, the Church of Christ, um, and and other and other churches, which 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 ultimately are anti-gospel. Look, Church of Christ is obviously a bit of an anomaly because they look like us and smell like us on most Sundays, uh, other than baptismal regeneration. Um, so maybe it was a bit unfair lumping them together with Jehovah Witnesses and uh, and Mormons. But but yeah, eighty uh, percent. It's it's kind of a it's kind of a number that might look good on paper, but in practice, on any given Sunday, uh, church attendance is way lower than that. And then actual functional faith is, is, is negligible. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's the same thing here, too. Um, but we still have wide swaths of at least cultural Christianity in the South and things like that. So I, I really think that um, the reactions that we have seen ha- have been due to a, a lot of different factors. But what has happened is that a lot of my, um, a lot of us here in the United States have been able to, I've grown up with a neutral relationship to the state, in essence, that the church did its thing, the state did its thing, and I wasn't raised with the idea that the church had any kind of prophetic role to speak to the state and to say to the state, here's God's ways, and uh, you will be blessed if you follow them, and um, if if you don't, uh, judgment will come. And so we just sort of lived in our separate worlds. And now all of a sudden, uh, the state's coming in and deciding in different states in different ways um, that they can tell you that you can't sing or that you can't have the Lord's Supper or you can't meet or um, you can't have funerals uh, or whatever. And uh, we've never we've never experienced this before. We've never had to think about this. And I'm seeing mm. um, a lot of guys who held positions in 2015 that they're no longer holding in 2021. And I've had development in that area as well. I mean, I've had to think through whether I'm being consistent, whether that consistency is. Um, uh, worthwhile from the past or needs to be changed or whatever. So I, I think we're going to continue to see um, reorientation of the old lines, shall we say, as yeah. far as fellowships and churches and things like that. Uh, here in the U.S., there's been a you know clear revelation that TGC, which has been a worldwide name, you've got probably lots of TGC stuff in South Africa too, you know, has taken a very clear perspective in these things and it's not the perspective that we've taken and so there has been uh, you know division and uh, back and forth and and I just get the feeling that that's just going to get wider as time goes on uh, we're watching what's going on in Australia and wow um, the stuff going down on down there is is amazing lots of pastors arrested in Canada um, and we all know that all that could come roaring back at, at any moment. Um, and so I'm, I'm living, I, I think a lot of, a lot, I've, I've said many times on my own program that I'm living in a state of schizophrenia because I, I wake up in the morning and I want to live my regular life. I want to go for a bike ride. I want to plan trips and conferences and debates and, and stuff like that. And then I then I realized the real world that's going on and how all of that could come to a screeching halt and how I might not be able to do those types of things and how there could be 
absolutely fundamental changes coming globally. And it's, I, how do you live in those two, in those two realms? It's difficult to make plans the future. It's, 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 it's a challenge. So uh, I confess that's where I am. Um, But we're just doing the best we can. And uh, for example, just last, just last week, uh, my fellow uh, pastor, Jeff Durbin, uh, met with an entire group of Navy SEALs. I'm sure you know who the Navy SEALs are down there. Um, they are literally the most elite warriors in the world. Um, you know, SEAL Team 6 took out bin Laden, and there are all sorts of movies and television shows and all sorts of stuff about these guys. They are amazing. But uh, there are a bunch of these guys who listen regularly to Jeff and myself and Doug Wilson, and we've influenced them, and they are fighting these uh, vaccine mandates. And so uh, Jeff flew out to, to meet with them. I would have if they were closer, but uh, it didn't work out that way. Um, and uh, we are trying to pastorally be of assistance to these these guys. They They... They want to glorify Christ and how they're responding to this situation. And uh, um, so I ended up last weekend um, spending every moment that I had writing a uh, very quickly produced, but if it was typeset in a book, it'd be 15, 20 pages, um, position paper on the the sovereignty of Christ, his lordship, uh, and the relationship to the state in regards to these types of issues. And that's not something I ever would have done uh, prior to 2020. Uh, But I've had to dive into that area. And uh, uh, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. So it's... um, uh, These are very, very, very interesting times, no question about it. And... uh, uh, so we we do the best to do the best we can. I, I I I miss traveling. I miss getting a chance to get down there. I mean, as you know, I was in South Africa every year, and um, I, I just don't see that happening uh, anytime in the in the not too you know distant future, unfortunately. So um, anyway, so I was covering for you there while you were r- running around. <laughs> So James, I, I, I've gotten uh, I've got notice from home base that we actually missed an ad break and a song break at ten o'clock, and it's just because I find the conversation so absorbing. After the break, I really want us to chat at least briefly about critical race theory, uh, wokeism, uh, and the church. Uh, some of the advancements that you guys are seeing stateside, and uh, what we have to look forward to in South Africa. And then after that, Christophanies in the Old Testament. I know that that is a topic that, uh, um, that you can handle. Um, uh, Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And so, Mpo, if you can uh, take us to break at this stage, uh, we'd appreciate it, brother. Us on Radio Cape Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. You might be engaging with us on the live stream on Facebook. It is good to have you with us. Facebookers, um, maybe you're on DSTV channel 882, maybe you're on OpenView channel 607, maybe you are live streaming off www.radiopulpit.co.za. However you are interacting with us, it's good to have you with us. I recognize it's a public holiday, which means that nothing is working like I planned this morning. 
Um, if you've been dialing into the studio line, so sorry, there's no one there to pick up that call. <laughs> if you have been uh, sending in WhatsApp and telephone num uh, telegrams, I do want to say thank you for the engagements. However, I'm unable to pre-listen to them this morning because I didn't bring my little earbuds in. And so I am hesitant to just push play um, for whatever might come in. Could you restate what you wanted to ask in a comment? Um, you can uh, engage with us on WhatsApp or Telegram. The number is 082-657-2729. You can be a twit. You can tweet on at 657am. And the studio line this week is not available. So sorry for that, listeners. But um, I do thank the folk that have been sending in greetings. James, you've gotten greetings from around the world. Folk in New Zealand were listening in and, uh, and say hi to you. Um, along with a number of other people. James, before the break, we were talking about oh, just changes in society. We were talking about um, just uh, the realities of living in this like ridiculous world um, and just the problems that come with it. Um, we left talking about church and state, and uh, I really appreciate the nuance that you, uh, of the conversation uh, that you were having. I do want us to at least touch base on critical race theory wokeism, social justice, um, these issues. Maybe if you can just define the issues for the listeners, <laughs> brief history, because I know that you've been involved in the conversation, you know, right from the beginning, um, and just kind of give some indication of where the church is in the States, because, you know, when you guys <laughs> catch a cold, we catch the flu a few, a few yeah. weeks later. And so, yeah, just this conversation is becoming increasingly important, South African side. Well, I, I wasn't on it from the beginning. That's the problem. Um, well, it depends on what where you mark the beginning, I suppose. But um, I, I, I really didn't start seeing this stuff until 2018 and started addressing it then. All sorts of other folks saw it long before I did and were addressing it long before uh, I did. And when I, what I saw um, had to do with theology. But I, what I saw, for me, interestingly enough, was sparked by some of the stuff I've done down there in South Africa. I had been coming down for years. Um, uh, you know, Rudolph would drag me around uh, to various and sundry places, and uh, many of the churches that uh, that I was in there. Well, all the churches that I was in down there were greatly diverse. Um, you had every skin tone and background and, and everything represented within those churches. And I always found that just awesome. Uh, in fact, I remember very, very clearly, I was at a church in Joburg. Um, and this actually happened twice. It happened once at Antioch and then this other church in Joburg first. I had this, this group of young university students, uh, black university students, young guys, come up to me and it's fascinating because they were years apart. They were different guys. They said almost the exact same thing. Um, they said, if, if we hadn't had the dividing line, my webcast, um, we wouldn't have kept our faith through university. And so I've, I've preached in churches down there. I've preached in your church down there. And there's just one message. There's one, what, what joins 
people together, the, 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 the harmony that exists, the unity that exists in the body of Christ is based upon the fact that, and I don't hear a lot of people emphasizing this part, but I guess it's my background that emphasizes it. Um, yes, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We use the biblical terminology, but the reality is there's one spirit that indwells us all, and there is one imputed righteousness that gives us peace with God. And there is not a black imputed righteousness or a white imputed righteousness or an Indian imputed righteousness or an Asian imputed righteousness. There's no such thing as any of these things. And we come to the table on the exact same level. We partake of the same bread. We drink the same wine. Um, it is it is that time where the body gives its clearest demonstration of what gives it its unity. And I've partaken of the supper in South Africa, in Australia, in New Zealand, um, in Ukraine. Uh, I got to my first visit to, uh, I taught in Samara, Russia at the beginning of 2019, um, all over the UK, Scotland. I haven't, didn't get a chance to get to much of Asia, uh, but still around the globe. And that unity transcends all the different boundaries and languages and, and everything else there. And unfortunately, critical race theory, all critical theory, if, if it starts with a C and ends with a T, okay, you, you need to understand critical gender theory, critical law theory, um, all of these that have a critical and a theory. Um, and we could, we could go into the Frankfurt School and, and Derrida and Foucault and back to Marx and, and all the rest of, of the mess that, that, that you can go into there. But the reality is that what the critical and the theory does is destroy whatever's put in between it. Critical theory only has the ability to break down. It does not, having broken down, put anything back together again. And so we know that Critical theory leads to intersectionality. It, it leads to um, the, the concept of, of you looking for all of the categories in which you are an oppressed individual. And this is the exact opposite of what the gospel accomplishes in the church. What the gospel provides in building up critical theory destroys by breaking down. And any truth that critical theory can grab hold of and point to, it's putting it into a context that will end up being destructive rather than edifying or building up. And so uh, that's, once the work is done, then somebody else has to come along and rebuild it. And the question is, who's gonna rebuild it and on what basis? That's honestly, I'll tell you, Mark, um, I know even, I'm going to get real controversial here. I know even amongst your, what you would call your tribe, um, uh, what we would call the, the master's seminary tribe, in essence, um, there are a lot of guys who are sitting back and looking at what's going on and are going, I really need to understand what the future is going to be 
in the sense of what's the purpose of the church? And here's where I have, I've made, as you probably know, a, a shift. Um, and the reason for this is forced to think through consistency and the fact that I'm a grandfather. Now you're not a grandfather yet. Um, you're, you're not, you're not too far away. Uh, I, I saw your Facebook feed. Don't, don't you have an 18 year old now? I have an 18 year old, but uh, first comes love, then comes marriage. That's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> but nothing in my experience has changed me as much as an individual as becoming a grandparent. Now, my oldest grandchild is will soon be 12 years old. She looks like she's 15. It's scary. Uh, both her dad and I are, are oiling up the shotguns, if you know what I mean. Uh, beautiful young lady. Uh, but I have four grandkids. And once your babies have babies, you start thinking about the future. And um, Doug Wilson rightly said in a, in a film uh, that I watched uh, last year, uh, Christians rarely think about their great-grandchildren and they almost never plan for them. Hmm. And he's right. But once you've got grandchildren, then you start thinking about great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren. You think about the future. And um, as I see what looks like a period of deep darkness possibly coming upon upon the globe. And, and please realize, critical theory, secularism as a whole, it cannot create a society that is based on anything other than sheer force. It, it has to be totalitarian. There can be no freedom. There can be no liberty. And since secularism views mankind as nothing more, more than a to use a star trek illustration ugly bags of mostly water uh moist robots um it cannot actually address the real needs of man it cannot bring about human flourishing and so it has to be totalitarian and we, that's what we see happening and so it cannot last forever but it can last for a while and be a very dark period of time and so my thinking is how do i sow forward how do I communicate gospel truth, gospel foundations through that period of darkness to my great-grandchildren and their children and work toward that future of being faithful in that way? Uh, that, to me, has become one of the key issues of having to deal with what we're seeing in critical theory because uh, what it produces is deeply damaging to humanity as a whole. Why? Because humanity is made in the image of God and our creator is Jesus Christ. And so to um, reject his ways, I, I honestly, you know, I've taught church history for years and years and years. I cannot think of a challenge to the Lordship of Christ that is more full and complete than secularism. Even the pagan even the pagan Romans were still theists. They still believed they were male and female. They still believed at least in some form of deities. But secularism denies every single aspect of anything Jesus ever said was important. And so if, if you look at scripture, scripture talks about Jesus putting every enemy under his feet. 
well, secularism needs to be put under the feet of Jesus. And he's going to do that. How long? In what way? That's where the debate is. But it's an enemy. And all churches that try to compromise at that point and try to find a way to make secularism and Christianity work together can't be done. It can't be done. Um, you, you mentioned you mentioned just kind of like the the response of some guys. You, you spoke about the Masters Tribe, um, and, and just I, I mean I, the conversation on Radio Pulpit is a much broader sway of the Christian Church uh, than 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 maybe kind of like the narrow tribes that that we sometimes uh, tag ourselves in. Um, but but. But when you when you mentioned kind of like just thinking through the church and the church's response and what church will look like and kind of handing down this um, uh, this this faith from baton to baton to future generations, I, I'm kind of interested to to just hear even if it's even if it's at the the the, the beginning of the process in terms of your thinking, um, how what's this going to look like, James? I mean, I. I Everybody sees the attack. Everyone sees the growing darkness. Everyone feels the clouds gathering. Um, it does seem that we live in a world where the state can assume control <laughs> on, the, on the swing of a dime and the world can change in the blink of an eye. Um, what will church look like on the other side of this? Because I think for, for a long time, you know, church in the state has looked big and glitzy and a little bit like the world around it. <laughs> kind of, uh, you know, if, uh, if the world around it was secular, well, you know, the church on the inside was playing the movies as bumpers to their sermon illustrations and stuff like that. Um, what's healthy church going to look like in 10 years' time? Well, well, I don't know if it's going to be 10 years. Um... Remember, the Soviet Union stood for 70, and they didn't have near the tech that uh, governments have today. So it, it could be generations. Um, my, my confidence is that Christ reigns and he is going to be victorious over all of this. But the question is, how long is this darkness going to be? How deep? If you want to see how deep it can get, look at North Korea, look at China look at what's going on in those places and the control that those governments have, but they're still made up of people who are made in the image of God. That's their, they, they can't win. Uh, they, they, they don't have it within themselves to stand against the one who made them. Uh, that's what we have to keep in mind. When you ask what will the church look like, the church will look like the healthy, sound, focused church looks like today that isn't caught up in all the stuff that you were just mentioning. Um, that church will be a, a people who, who gather and who sing praises to Christ as King and who proclaim his word fearlessly and who partake of the supper, which is a proclamation of the Lord's death until he comes and then goes out and lives that in a daily way, recognizing that when we gather and we sing and we worship and we demonstrate that we live under the Lordship of Christ in all things, that we are illustrating what I think most of us know who've studied Matthew chapter 16, when it says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Um, that's been misunderstood by generations. Gates are defensive. Gates don't move anywhere. They keep something out. 
And so it is a promise of the, the moving forward of the church against the powers of darkness. It's not um, the gates of hell trying to get into the back door of the, of the local Baptist church. It is the church's advancement. It's the kingdom's advancement. And so we have these promises, and in a, in a way, it's like we today are where Simon and, and, and people were before the coming of Christ. They had the promises. They had the prophecies. They believed, even though they didn't see what that was going to end up looking like. We're so used to looking back on fulfilled pro uh, prophecy that when we see promises in Scripture, um, we struggle to believe that God can do the things that he's promised in Scripture. Jesus yeah, said he'd that, build his church. That, that, that's it. Fantastic observation. I mean, James, that, that's gold right there. And because it does, it causes us to remember the Pharisees, even in Jesus's day, when they were approached by Herod, the Pharisees and the scribes, they, they knew what the promises were. They just didn't believe them. Um, yeah. And I guess, I guess in every age, there are those who have the Bible in one hand and just, you know, they're blind guides because they don't, <laughs> because they lack belief in, in what God has revealed in truth. Well, and, and we struggle with it because, like I said, we're used to looking back at fulfilled prophecy and, and we're like, oh, wait, we would have seen that. Oh, yeah, I would have. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yet there were only a few uh, there in the temple, Anna, waiting and, and seeing the, the fulfillment of the Lord. And the rest were just blind to what God was doing. And uh, I'm, I'm a Reformed theologian. I believe in the sovereignty of God, and if God says he can do the things he's promised to do in Christ, then he can do it. That's my confidence. Um, but I recognize that um, there can be deep valleys of darkness where judgment comes upon a people. And let's be honest, um, we live in a generation that knows more about, for example, the humanity of unborn children than any generation before us, and we've killed more of them than any generation before us. And we we understand um, issues of human sexuality and everything else, but we walk in our own paths anyways. We have blood all over our hands. And, and so I look at my own nation. My own nation is being humiliated globally because we've had so many blessings from God, and we've squandered them, and we've not been thankful for them, and we've you've embraced every kind of rebellion against the God who blessed us. And it's a, it's a just judgment, but judgment falls upon nations and God's people suffer along the way. And, and uh, don't get me into all the sermons about how we can prepare for all of that. But when you ask, what's the church going to look like? We know what the church always looks like when the spirit of God is active. And what I love um, about what we've done over the past year and a half is that you know, at one point, the governor of California and we neighbor, Arizona has a common border with California, which is a shame because we have lots of Californians that have moved into our state and trying to turn it into California, even though they left California because California has fallen apart. Um, but the governor over in California had had basically said, uh, you know, no more singing in the church. And at the end of each one of our services, um, we have the Lord's Supper in each service and at the end of every service, uh, we sing the doxology. And uh, we raise our hand and we, we sing the doxology. And that Sunday, <laughs> uh, 
uh, I don't think that building, we rent a building, we don't have our own building, but uh, I, I don't think that building had ever heard uh, that that level of, of beautiful uh, singing of praise to Christ than, than, than that day. Um, and as, and we were sort of facing toward California. So it's sort of like, okay, if California <laughs> Christians can't do it, we'll do it. And, uh, and we, and we tried to sort of fill in for them. So anyways, look, brother, if we keep yammering like this, I'm never going to get Isaiah 4310 discussed. Cause I think, I think, am I correct? We only have like 15 minutes left. We have 15 minutes left. And so, James, I, I was hoping that you could talk to us a little bit about Jesus in the Old Testament, um, about where we see Jesus in the Old Testament, and specifically, I mean, I've heard you talk about Isaiah in particular and connections into John, um, and, and I was hoping you would, you would talk to us about um, the pre-existence of Christ um, and, and how the Old Testament at least implies or intimates uh, his pre-existence. Well, now that's a little bit different than than what I was prepared for because I understood um, that you had had a, a conversation or a question about specifically Jesus's citation of Isaiah forty three of himself yes, in regards to yeah. self identifying himself as the I am, and I'll, I'll I can do that fairly certainly in, in fifteen minutes, but as far as pre-existence of Christ, I would simply point out to folks, I think one of the most amazing texts um, in the scriptures on the subject is when you go to Genesis 18 and 19. And it's sort of, it is connected to our situation today because this is the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. I saw an interesting article, I'm not sure if you saw it, two days ago, um, where uh, some archaeologists were actually theorizing uh, that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed uh, as a result of a uh, meteorite exploding above them and raining um, molten metal upon them. It sounds like sounds like what Genesis <laughs> Genesis nineteen describes. Yeah, be, be about right. Um, which is really interesting uh, from their archaeological digs. But anyways, uh, didn't get a chance to read the whole article, so it's just something interesting in passing. But um, Genesis eighteen and nineteen is where uh, Yahweh, literally, and two angels come and visit Abram. And uh, in the story, uh, these three strangers come to Abram, and one stays with him, Yahweh, and the two others, the angels, go down to Sodom and Gomorrah. And they're the two angels that, that come visit Lot. And Yahweh, in physical form, walks with Abraham and, and he's the one that he has the conversation with. Well, well, if you find 50 righteous people, will you destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? And he's, you know, the, uh, what about 40? What about 20? What about 10? So on and so forth. And so you have the conversation of Yahweh manifesting himself in talking with Abraham and the two angels going down to Sodom and Gomorrah, who eventually remove Lot. And of course, his, his, uh, his wife is, uh, is, looks back and, and, we know we know the whole story there, but what people normally don't see is in Genesis chapter nineteen, it says that Yahweh rained fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah from Yahweh in heaven, mm. and so you have the Yahweh on earth 
rains fire oh, and brimstone wow. from the Yahweh in heaven upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And so you have... It's very, it's very interesting. I, I happen to be preaching Jude uh, from verse 5 through right. to verse 10 this past Sunday. And so Sodom and Gomorrah is like right slap bang in the middle there. And I, I made the point. I mean, I, I previously preached through Genesis up to about chapter 23 a few years ago. And so um, I, I had my notes. I, I was in Genesis 19. I made the observation of the double use of Yahweh in that very verse. Um, and I, I drew the line that, that the author, Moses, is just trying to absolutely emphasize that the destruction of these two perverse cities and the cities around them was by the hand of God. I mean, it's just like no uncertain terms that, you know, it might have been a meteor from, from above, but it was the hand of God that flung it. Um, you know, it was, it was God's judgment. I love the observation there of Yahweh below and Yahweh above. It's not it's not where I had originally gone to, but it's something I'm certainly not thinking through. Yeah, and when you when you think about in John chapter eight, Jesus says to the Pharisees, "Abraham rejoiced. Abraham saw my day and rejoiced to see it and was glad." When did Abraham see Jesus's day? Um, given the New Testament's identification of Jesus as Yahweh, uh, this is a primary possibility of of what the referent there is from from John chapter eight. So. Uh, there are a number of, of texts like that. Clearly, last year at G3, I preached from Isaiah 6, and in John chapter 12, verse 41, Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, John identifies Jesus as the one that Abram, uh, that Isaiah saw in his temple vision. He says, I saw yeah. the Lord lofty and lifted up, and I pointed out in that sermon that it's very interesting, there's a textual variant between the Hebrew and the, and the Greek in Isaiah 6.1, in the Hebrew, it says the train of his robe was filling the temple. But in um, the Greek Septuagint, it says his glory filled the temple. And in John 12.41, it said Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory, glory. and he spoke about him. And so to every uh, person who was reading the Greek Septuagint, and knew the story that he had just quoted from. He quoted from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10. Um, uh, they knew exactly what he was referring to. John was saying that Isaiah saw Jesus' glory, and he spoke about him, and yet this was Yahweh sitting upon his throne. So there's all sorts of texts this, I got like the this. Septuagint open in front of me, and it's, and it's glory. I, I hadn't seen that before. This is gold. We should have gone it's here a, at the beginning. This is art, brilliant. Art. Brother, that, that's in the footnote in the Forgotten Trinity. You've got to read my footnotes, man. <laughs> okay. You see, that's where I went wrong. That's where I went wrong. Gotta this read is the brilliant. <laughs> so, yeah, since we touched that, on text if you if you get since a chance touched on textual variants and, and you, you you wouldn't have had time to think through this. I, I don't know if you have thought through this in the past. But but in Jude, um verse five. Jude five. You, you, yep. you, you have a you have like a plethora of of options was it jesus was it god was it christ god was it christ um in terms there, there, of who destroyed real, real quickly take, because I, i've still got to get to isaiah 43 but real quickly okay yeah yeah um, yeah, yeah jude, jude 5 there are really only two options as far as the manuscripts are concerned that are strong enough to to uh, uh to be possibilities and that's the either lord uh, or Jesus. And as you probably know, the ESV has adopted Jesus 
uh, as has the uh, Nestle in 28th edition of the Greek New Testament. Uh, really, really quickly, there's something called CBGM, Coherence-Based Genealogical Method. It's a computer method, computer database is now being used in its largest collation of Greek manuscripts ever. And um, because it was first used in the uh, general epistles, including Jude, uh, it said that the better reading, the manuscripts that read Jesus are more consistent with one another than the manuscripts that say Lord. And so that has been adopted as the reading by uh, uh, the ESV uh, there in, in Jude 5. And so um, I'm doing a lot of work in CBGM and I, I can't get into it. Right? I can't even begin to describe it in, in this amount of time. But the question you initially, the, the reason I got up at midnight uh, here in Holbrook, Arizona, um, is to run through briefly now um, the, the experience I had as a young man in Bible college, I think I was still in Bible college. I don't think I was in seminary yet. Um, I remember late one night I had a, a compact uh, portable computer, which means it had no hard drive and two 360K floppy drives. Had a six inch green screen. This is how long ago this was. This would have been 1983 or four. And I remember the wife had already gone to bed and I was working on a paper on the I am sayings of Jesus. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, ego I me, a number of times. Now, ego I mean can, can simply mean I myself am. But it's also the phraseology found in Exodus 3.14, where it says, ego I me ha on, I am the one being, I am that I am. And it's also used throughout Isaiah and other places as a name for God. Tell them that I am. Um, and I was, I don't remember whether I was reading John 13 or whether I was reading uh, Isaiah 43, but there are John 8, 24, 8, 58, 13, 19, and 18, five through six are the primary places in the gospel of John where Jesus uses I am in a very specific way. So in John 8, 58, before Abraham was, I am, the Jews pick up stones to stone him. John 8, 24, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. John 18, 5 through 6, um, when Jesus says, I am, the soldiers fall back upon the ground. So there's something very specific about this. But most people don't think about John 13, 19 at all, don't even see it. It's in the context of Jesus prophesying what Judas was going to do. And he's talking about how Judas is going to betray him, not by name, obviously, but the betrayer. And then he says, I'm telling you before it happens, so when it does happen, you may believe that I am. And I remember had this little uh, desk lamp that was sort of flickering and stuff. And I'm like, I've seen that someplace before. I know I've seen that someplace before. And that's when I looked at the Greek Septuagint translation of Isaiah 4310. Isaiah 4310 is a verse that we all use uh, in witnessing the Mormons because the last section of Isaiah 4310 says before me there was no God formed and there shall be none after me so that's a direct refutation of LDS theology and it's the idea of men becoming gods and things like that but the first part of the verse is you are my witnesses says Yahweh my servant who I had chosen that you may know and believe and understand that anahu in Hebrew which in the Greek Septuagint is ego I me that you may understand that I am. 
before me there is no God formed and there shall be none after me. And if you look at the verb that is used in John 13, 19, it's the exact same verb that's used in Isaiah 43, 10. And so what you have is they're both prophecies. Isaiah 43 is a prophecy about what God's going to be doing in the future. He says, I'm telling you beforehand, so when it does happen, you may know that I am. In this context with Jesus, he's saying to the disciples, this is what's going to happen in the future. And when it happens in the future, I tell you this, that you may know that I am. And he uses the exact same language. You can lay the Greek Septuagint out right next to John 13, 19. Uh, it's obvious what John's communicating to us by recording Jesus' words. And so it's fascinating because uh, I had a debate with a open theist in Denver. He passed away recently. Um, and he was trying to say that Judas could have done otherwise. This could have become a false prophecy. And I pointed out to him, one of the ways that Jesus identifies himself to his disciples, that they may know that he is divine, you're saying could have been falsified in your theology. I think that was one of the most important parts of that particular debate that we had. Open theists don't believe that God knows the future, at least the actions of free creatures anyways. And uh, so it, it's, a, it's a tremendous passage. And most people just walk right past John 12, 41, John 13, 19, because our mind's sort of on the narrative of what's going on. And we don't see, especially because we're not reading from the Greek Septuagint, which all of John's readers would have been. Uh, we don't see that he's purposefully drawing these parallels and, and drawing this language in uh, to communicate stuff to us in a, in a really fantastic fashion. And so those I am sayings of Jesus in John, uh, John 8, 24, 8, 58, 13, 19, 18, 5 through 6, um, really, really important. And uh, uh, but a lot of English readers end up missing them uh, because they don't have the, the background in, in, in the Old Testament to, to recognize it as it's, come, as it's going by. Ah, men, absolutely excellent. I mean, really excellent. Would have been so helpful if I knew that two weeks ago <laughs> when the question was asked. <laughs> James, it's in the Forgotten uh, Trinity, man. It's in the Forgotten Trinity. And, and that one wasn't even in the footnotes. So there you go. <laughs> you, you know what I like the most about you is that um, I can talk to you for like two hours about stuff. The conversation just flows. And then when you hit the text, Brother, you like a super nerd. I, I don't know where you get all the, where, where you fit all the stuff that you know uh, in I'm your just, head. I'm just I, I old. Just, I've, I've been doing this for, for longer than you have, man. That's all. It's just, it, it's practice. <laughs> well, well what, what I did was um, while you were talking, uh, I opened up the Septuagint. I'm reading the, uh, I'm reading it below the text um, and, uh, and confirming what you're saying <laughs> as you're going along. Really, really helpful. Thank you so much for that, James. And um, um, yeah, just thank you for your time. I recognize that you, I mean, saying it again, but just recognize that you've given up a lot uh, to speak to folk in South Africa and all over South Africa. Um, but I really, really appreciate it. I appreciate you, appreciate your ministry, and appreciate a lot of uh, what many of the guys are doing and saying across in the States as you guys face issues somewhat ahead of us. Um, and then get to pass your learnings on to us so that when we face it, we're more equipped uh, to deal with it. So, yeah, thanks for giving of your time. Really, really appreciate it, brother. It's been really enjoyable. I hope it's been helpful to you. And uh, God bless you guys down there in South Africa. Well, Radio Pulpit listeners, um, even as we 
Sanat. Uh, our prayers do go out to all elders and deacons who hold the line in local churches, as well as our missionaries who serve in foreign fields. We pray for each week and we give uh, much respect to our first responders, police, defense force, for those who dispense justice, firefighters, paramedics, our nation's nurses, medical staff, those who serve in correctional facility facilities uh, all across our nation. You have been listening to Table Talk with me, your host, Mark, along with uh, this morning, Michael Swain at the beginning, and then James White. We're going to be going to news now, and so until next week, walk wisely, live holy, and testify zealously to Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.